Now, for the message, I'm so glad you came. This is good. This is, I love going right through the Bible. I don't know if you enjoy it as much as I do, but we are heading to, I think, the saddest verse in the Bible. It's in this chapter. So we're entering into that chapter today. I want to go ahead and tell you that our text is John chapter 6, verses 1 to 14. You'll see that come up behind me. It's going to be a little different today because we're also going to loop in Matthew chapter 14, verses 13 to 21, Mark chapter 6, verse 30 to 44, and Luke chapter 9, verses 10 to 17. If you know much about the Gospels, the Synoptic Gospels, the life of Jesus, very seldom do you have all four covering a particular subject matter that dealt with Jesus' ministry. Rarely is it all four. So I don't know about you, but when I notice that all four of them are talking about, they give all, each a different um, type of perspective, I, I clue in and like, why is this that important? Why did God see fit to inspire all four gospel writers to do this? So we want to zero in on this. I want you to know that all lead to one conclusion, and you'll see that come up behind me. Jesus' abundance is always greater than our need. I think you'll see that in the text, but I want you to have in mind that sometimes things happen in the background, some things that seem surface, things that seem almost benign, they are not. When you're reading the Bible, if God inspired it to be there, there's a reason for it to be there. One of those things that happens when you read through the Bible over and over again and you get some new application from it after the, the last time, you know, it's something you never even noticed. Maybe you even learned something new. You pay attention to what seems to be the background stuff because it matters. And I think you'll kind of catch that if you haven't already in these texts that we look at today. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to try to pull in these other Gospels that give us a little bit of unique insight. And I will not bring in the other Gospels if they don't. So if there's something we don't necessarily need to focus on, we're not going to do that. But starting with our text, John chapter 6, verse 1. After this, after what? Well, I'll get to that. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. Now, what? Well, after what? After they wanted to kill him all the more. Remember? So after he's already basically put them in their place, and now they really want to kill him, what does he do? He goes away to the other side, the Sea of Galilee. And we're going to look at that word Galilee. Obviously, it has two names here, but I want you to uh, look at that and notice also the different languages you'll see come up behind me. We've got the Hebrew, and we've got the Arabic. Uh, but notice it's got multiple names, and only two of which are we talking about here, Galilee and Tiberias. It's not that significant to pay that close attention to it, but there's a couple of things you might want to note about the Sea of Galilee. From what I read, it is the second lowest sea in the world, the lowest in the region, which means those are significant hills, mountains, and, val and valleys in that region. 
So it's kind of interesting that that's a very special place. If, if Jesus was going to pick a place to speak to a crowd, this is a good one because he's got the extra acoustics of the mountains and the water all in one place. It's kind of special. So God set this up. Now, let's look at Matthew chapter 14, verse 13. If you have trouble staying with me, you can just look at the slides behind me. Now, when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. We're grabbing in, we're pulling in Matthew because we're getting, we're getting a, a different visual. So Jesus is trying to get to an isolated place. Learn from him. Typically, when we, when we see this, it's in a different gospel, and we're going to look at that too. When we see Jesus retreating a lot, going off by himself, it's an interesting thing. We'll learn more as it moves along. But don't miss the part where he had compassion on them. Also, don't miss the part that they are running, they're, they're following him on foot from the towns. So we'll take a look at this a little bit in a visual in a moment. So let's look at the gospel that shows Jesus retreating a lot by himself and with his disciples. So in Mark, Mark's account is in Mark chapter 6, starting with verse 31. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place. He's talking to his disciples. And rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. So now we get a little bit more from Mark. Not only were they running on foot, they were recognizing them in the boat. So when I show you a diagram in a minute, I'm going to show you a straight path. But the boat clearly had to be visible enough where you could see the people in it. And the people would say, that's the guy that's doing all this stuff. That's the guy. And so they're talking about it. There's excitement. They're running on foot to get ahead of the boat. Not the easiest route, but they're doing it. So there's a lot of enthusiasm. There's so much enthusiasm that they are getting ahead of them before the boat gets where it's going to be, the people are going to get ahead of them. That's interesting. Also note that they are much like you and me, the disciples, in that they were so busy, they hadn't stopped to eat. You ever do that? You're, you get so involved in whatever the project is you're doing, and then, oh my goodness, I missed lunch. It's almost supper time. You know, you just that's what they're doing. And they're involved in spiritual stuff, so it's really cool. Now let's loop in Luke and see what we can get from Luke's account, which Luke is in chapter 9. We'll read from verse 11. When the crowds learned it, they followed him, and he welcomed them and spoke to them of the kingdom of God and cured those who had need of healing. So just grab the picture in your head. I want to show you something in the chronology of Jesus. Now I'll pull this one. Uh, from another resource that's cited there, you can see that uh, this is an extensive chronology of Jesus. This is from a Moody Bible Institute, and it's really good stuff from the Riri Study Bible, King James Version. So I want you to notice, just have a visual here, there are 27 different things here in Jesus' Galilean ministry. 
27, see it up behind me? Now that's just page one. Here's page two, and I got two pages by doing two different screenshots off the internet. This is 27 more, you see that number? Come up behind me, add the 27, if you know math, then you'll see it's 54. These are 54 little bullets highlighting the ministry of Jesus in Galilee alone. So that's significant. But I want you to notice this particular uh, area right here, uh, the arrow that just popped up behind me, that is item number 36 in his Galilean ministry. If you want to get a timeline, I want you to look at this timeline, you'll see it behind me, of Jesus' ministry. And you might look at that and go, whoa, I can't see it. It's not very easy. Let's throw in some background and see what happens. Watch this. Look at that. The background makes all the difference in this particular analogy. Let your noodles in your head there uh, wrap around that for a minute. Without the background, you can't see the foreground as well. And there's a lot of passages in the Bible that are just like this, and today's is one of them. So now with that background there behind the illustration, the reason why you couldn't see it is because you can do these things where you can eliminate, um, you can have no background, you just have the images. But you need a background in order to see the foreground in this particular image. And so you get the chronology of Jesus, and I want you to notice that at this particular time, we are about one year into his ministry. Now, you don't get that when you're reading John. You read, you read through John, and it just feels like boom, 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 boom. He's just starting. He's got a couple weeks in. No, this is a year. So that's where we are in his ministry, one year in. Now I want to show you um, the map. Here's the map up behind me. And first I want to show you Bethsaida, which is where he was. You'll see that little bouncy ball. There you go. There's Bethsaida. And then Jesus goes to the other side, and this is called uh, Tagtha, if you want to say it that way. Uh, there's, you'll see it. It's going to move very slowly, and you'll see basically where the ship is going. It's not, it wasn't a straight line, I'm sure. But you'll see where it's going, and we know this is more than likely the place where this event occurred because there is a church there that is protecting a very old uh, relic, if you want to call it that, that has a record of this particular event, and it dates back all the way to the 4th century. So in the 300s is when they recorded, this is the place where this thing happened. So that's more than likely where it did occur. So you can see it's the other side of the of Galilee, but it's just going from the east side to the west side. So it's not like going from top to bottom. Just wanted you to have that visual of the geography there. Now let's go back into our text in John. We'll pick up in John chapter 6. Now we're going to go to verse 2. And a large crowd was following him because he saw the, they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. And we already know this because we pulled in the other text. But let's go ahead and pull in Matthew We'll look at this, uh, Matthew 14 again, 13. Now, when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot. And we brought this in already um, from the towns. He went ashore and saw the great crowd, and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Don't miss that compassion part. Let's pull in Mark 
on this. Chapter 6, verse 33. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he saw that when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. So here are people, we know that he's healing them of their illnesses, but notice the emphasis in Mark is he was teaching them. That's what he was emphasized in, that's what Mark emphasized, which is significant. Now we have a standalone verse that's going to say a lot without us knowing it possibly. We'll go back into John chapter 6, verse 3. Check this out. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now, the crowds are already ahead of him. So they are going, he's going with his disciples, but he's not getting to be alone like his, at least uh, it appeared that he was going to do. He's got a crowd there already but he's up on the mountainside. The acoustics are perfectly set. If he's going up on the mountains and the crowds are already there, that means they're above the crowds. They can see the crowds. And when he chooses to speak, the crowds can hear because it's going across the top of the crowds. The acoustics are great. They're in a valley, so the water and the mountains are helping his voice carry. Sometimes when you're outside, your voice does not carry. But in this particular situation, everything is set up so that the voice can carry. All right, so let's pull, um, let's go to another verse, the very next verse in our text. We learn some more. John chapter 6, verse 4. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. What? Why is that just thrown in there like that? Sometimes you read this and you think that doesn't really matter. I mean, it's just Passover's happened. Well, this is the second Passover. We've already had one mentioned. This one's about to happen. What difference does it make that the Passover's at hand? It's a big difference. Did you not see one of my favorite Christmas movies, The Christmas with the Cranks? Stephanie and I read the book. It was, I thought it was such a dumb idea. She wanted to read this book together, and it was a great idea. Uh, sometimes we men think like that. Anyway, we read the book together at night, and... Um, I got to the point where I laughed so hard and cried and all that stuff. Don't tell anybody. Wait, this is going to be on the internet. Never mind. You can tell anybody. Anyway, um, it was just hilarious. So when the movie came out, um, Christmas with the Cranks, um, it's called Skipping Christmas in John Grisham's book, if you want to read it. it uh, we watched it, and it has become one of my favorite movies. Have, how many here have seen Christmas with the Cranks? Okay. If I had asked you to raise your hands, how many haven't? There's a bunch of you, apparently. You need to watch that. Anyway, if you'll remember, the mom is quite animated, and she's played quite well in, the, in there. Uh, she had to get that honey-baked ham. Remember how bad it was? She had to have that honey-baked ham. It was very important. you got to get that honey-baked ham. But she couldn't get it. Why? Because it was just before Christmas. You don't go out just before Christmas and expect to find Christmas stuff. That's why they have it in the stores now. Go get it. You know, so you, you've got to plan better. And so when you, when you see this in the scripture, when it says there's this crowd growing, and we, most of us know this story, there's, this is a big crowd. We'll, we'll see this. The Passover is at hand. That means there's no food to buy. You want to go to the store? You, the way they go to the store is you got people in there at bartering tables. 
You want to go buy some bread from where you buy bread? It's not there. It's just before Passover. It's gone. Just like just before Christmas. You want to get that gift for your kid that all the kids want? You better not wait to the last minute. It's the Passover. There's not going to be food available. Okay, we got that. So let's loop in. um, Well, let's go into John uh, and read verse 5 now, and we'll loop in some more. Chapter 6, verse 5, lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him. So the crowd's getting bigger. Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Of course he did. He's the creator of the universe. He knows you. He knows me. He knows us inside and out, and he's got a plan. So when you're going through stuff and you feel like, oh, why doesn't he listen to me? He knows what he's doing, and that's the case right now. Now, I had this in a different order when I prepared this. I had this in a different order, and I was putting John, I was doing it, and I was cascading it up instead of down, but it needs to be first. I changed it, and uh, with me and my complicated way of doing things, I struggled, uh, but I wanted you to see this first because I want you to notice something, and I'm going to plant an idea in your head as we look at these other texts. So let's look at Matthew's uh, insight here, John, uh, Matthew chapter 14, verse 15. Now, when it was evening, it's getting later. The disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place, and the day is now over. Send the crowds away to go into the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said, they need not go away. You give them something to eat. (laughs) Jesus is up to something, and I, I want you to see this for yourselves. Let's pull in Mark and Luke so we can get some more. So here's Mark. Chapter 6, the first part of verse 37. But he answered them, you give them something to eat. Look at what Luke does in Luke chapter 9, verse 13, the first part of it. But he said to them, you give them something to eat. So we know it's a fact, because all of them are saying this, um, that Jesus is doing something here to test all of the disciples. But I wanted to put this in this order for you so you could know something. You might not catch this otherwise. Jesus spoke to Philip before to kind of set it up. So I want you to grab a hold of the timeline of events. John has Jesus speaking to Philip, but then the others have him speaking to the group, and the group speaking to him. And it looks like, well, wait a minute. One says that Jesus said this, and the other says it was the group's idea. Hold on a minute. Understand what's going on. Jesus is talking to Philip, just him and Philip. Now, the disciples are all there, but he says to Philip, what are we going to do about all these people? He already knows what he's going to do. And then the crowds continue to come, and then Philip has this idea in his head because Jesus put it there. He's had a conversation with him. Philip talks with the disciples, and they decide to go to Jesus. Hey, we ought to, you know, send them away because you know, they got they to eat. And they're hungry too. So understand how this plays out. Jesus puts the seed in Philip's mind. Philip talks to the others, and they make a decision. Why don't we send them away? See? See how that plays out? It all actually makes sense. Okay, so now let's go to verse 7, and things get complicated. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough. 
for each of them to get a little. So now Jesus planted the seed in Philip. The disciples then, just, they all talk a little bit. Like, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? Jesus knows. So Philip probably told him, well, he asked me, you know, what, we're gonna, what we need to do. And they, they have this discussion, you know. Anyway, I, wanna, I want you to see how this plays out. This is the way it says it in Matthew, because one says Philip says it. Matthew says the disciples came to him. And, and Mark says the disciple, his disciples. And Luke says the twelve. So once again, we have this, it seems like a disparity here. We have something that's different. But understand, Jesus made Philip the point man when he asked him the question to start. So it's natural that if somebody's going to go to Jesus with some sort of a solution, it's going to be Philip. But I don't want you to miss this. They had a meeting. Yes, they did. It doesn't say they had a meeting, but they had a meeting. There's no other way to have Philip with this automatic mathematical equation in his head unless the disciples got together and decided, we can't do this. I want you to have that in your head because I think God wants you to have that in your head because there are times when church people, sometimes church leadership will get together when there's a task before them and it looks impossible and we have a meeting and we decide, we can't do this. Just have that in your head. You might have a meeting uh, with some church people that you love very much, and you all come to the conclusion. <laughs> well, yes, we think we're supposed to do this. We think Jesus wants us, but we can't. We can't do this. We don't have the resources. And here's how we know they had a meeting, because Philip had a specific number. Now, um, you saw it pop up kind of behind me. I got ahead of myself, but a denarii equals a day's wages. Now, I want to tell you this. I've got a purpose for saying it this way. Average annual income in Washington State is $82,508. Do we not have everything come up the way? I had it all in different order or something. Did all that come up? Oh, yeah. Let's see all those other things come up. There you go. Average annual income, 82508 And by the way, if JC is not clicking with me, it's probably because the preacher is out of order. He's just trying to figure out what, what are you going to do next, preacher? Okay. All right. So some of you, when I said $82,508, average annual income, some of you, maybe all of you thought, where in the world did he get that number? Well, I didn't have a meeting. What I did was I actually, I already knew uh, I was in the ballpark, but I just wanted to verify. The uh, ESD, if you're familiar, that's the unemployment for Washington State. Here's, uh, here it is. Uh, in 2021, they figured out what is the average income for Washington State. And that's the figure. You'll see it down in the lower numbers. You can't read it from where you are. It says that particular number. So let's go ahead and put that slide up, the next slide. There you go. So the average annual income is $82,508 for Washington State. Whether you believe it or not, that's the number that unemployment uses to determine how they're going to determine benefits. So we'll use that number because that's what they were using. Denarii, average day's wage. So let's figure out what that is. I'm going to do the math real quickly. Divide that by 52. That gives us the weeks. You'll see that come up. And the answer is $317.34 uh, 
oh, that's divided by weeks and divided by five days, five work days. So the average daily income is 317.34 in Washington State. Now, we're talking about 200 denarii. So multiply that by 200 and the number of the cost of feeding the people that are there, 63,467. Okay, you got that? That's how much it's gonna cost to feed the crowd. That's a big amount of money. And you know they're not carrying that in coins as they're walking through the, um, up the hill. So they're not doing that. They don't have it. They don't have the physical funding to do this. Let's go to the next slide there, JC. It'll just transition. You guys won't even notice. That's, now we're separating the 63,000 and getting it down there so we can divide. Now, uh, we're gonna divide by 15,000. I don't think that I, I don't know what I did. I probably got way ahead of, um, why am I using 15,000? It's because there's, I'll tell you, I'll show you a slide in a minute, but it's a low number, just to say that. Um, the story that we're looking at is the feeding of the 5,000. That's not what it looks like on the surface. We'll, we'll, we'll look at it deeper in a minute. So we're gonna use the number 15,000 people. And if you divide 15,000 into that 63,467, the number you find is $4.23 a piece. If you get online and you look for a tuna sub sandwich, that's sorry, it's fish, I was getting close, okay. Uh, from Subway, it's $4.25. You'll see that number pop up. And then you gotta add tax, and Washington State tax will make it 452, so you can't even pay for a six-inch tuna sub sandwich from Subway. Uh, but wait a minute, hold on. We're going about this the wrong way. This is wrong. Yeah. This is very, very wrong. Yeah, I wanted to do that twice for your enjoyment. Thanks, JC, you are on task. All right, so let's go back to the verse. You'll see the next slide, just the verse. Understand this. It's the Passover. The Passover, there is no food. Even if you have the money, you can't buy the food. So in every way possible, after they had their meeting and these disciples are talking, even though Philip comes up with an answer, you know it would cost this much money to, pay the, to feed these people? They had a meeting. They decided it's impossible, Jesus. Don't expect us to do this. When he said, you feed them, the disciples, they had a meeting. We can't, Jesus, creator of the universe who knows all things. We can't. Oh, yeah? Oh. <laughs> Let's just see. Our text continues, John chapter 6, verse 8. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but... What are they for so many? <laughs> now, I, I don't want you to miss this. Andrew is really not mentioned very much in the New Testament. But when he is, look at this. He's the one that led Peter to Jesus. Well, that's big. And he's the one that... <sighs> Here's what we have, and you can read the other text and find out there's more to that, but Andrew, the background guy, oh, he matters. 
And if you ever feel like you're that person, you know, you're the one that's doing the things in the background other people don't notice, other people don't value, other people don't seem to care, but without you, it wouldn't go as smoothly as it could go. And you ever feel like you don't really matter. I think it's significant that Andrew's name gets thrown into big stories like this. Backgrounds matter. Background people matter. Okay, so let's go ahead and look at our text now. Uh, We're at verse 10, John chapter 6, verse 10. Jesus said, have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place. So the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Okay, so this is where I'm talking about, where the surface it's not exactly what it appears. We get the surface number because it says the men. Let's read on with other passages. Let's go to Matthew chapter 14, verse 21. See what he has to say. And those who ate were about 5,000 men besides women and children. So that magical number 15,000, you'll see it. It'll float up behind me. That is a low number because you're only imagining that uh, the average man has one wife and one child. And that culture in that time is way more. So that means that Subway sandwich would have had to be cut into lots of little pieces. All right. So it's a virtual impossibility. You've got more than 15,000 people all scattered out in this crowd. Oh, no wonder they said, we can't do it, Jesus. You said feed them. We can't do it. We can't even buy food and look how much it would cost if their food was there. But let's see what Mark says. He gives us a little bit of insight as well in Mark chapter 6. I'm I got Luke first. Okay, we'll read Luke. Chapter 9, verse 14. For there were about 5,000 men, and he said to his disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. This is why I did this and put Mark last, because watch what happens. Here's Mark's account. Mark chapter 6, verse 40. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And I find it intriguing to me, Jesus told them, have them sit down in groups of about 50. And about 50 turned into... (laughs) Groups of hundreds, that's plural, and 50. They're a little bit off the mark of his instructions, but they're trying. He didn't get upset with them. So it probably um, was an amazing sight, and I'll show you an image in a minute. But let's go ahead and read John chapter 10, verse 11. I'm sorry, John chapter 6, verse 11. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish as much as they wanted. Now, that's significant. So it's not as much as they needed. It's as much as they wanted. You saw the donuts when you came in today, and many of you indulged in good for you, maybe. (laughs) Um, I had my share, or maybe I had one of yours, but it's not what I needed. How many of us needed donuts? We didn't need donuts. We wanted them. Okay. So there's the, the crowd um, had everything they wanted. Here's what it might have looked like. This is a, an artist painting of groups that are definitely bigger than around 50. So there's groups of 50s and 100s all scattered out, and you've got um, soft grass to sit on. And if you're from the Midwest, you know that it's, it's very providential and uh, great of God to have this thing happening, not in the Midwest, but in the Middle East because they don't have chiggers. So there you go. Grass is comfortable. It should remind you of a particular Old Testament um, psalm. 
like sheep without a shepherd. He makes me lie down. You think about that. But let's go ahead and go on with the text in John chapter 6. We'll pick up with verse 12 because we've got a lot of territory to cover. And so we were going to go quickly like this. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So if you had a parent that parented well, and by the way, parenting has changed, and I even saw somebody that I love uh, share something recently that was talking about this excellent parenting that was going on, and it was horrible parenting, but it was glorified as excellent. But if you had parents that did well, and they taught you to eat everything on your plate, I mean, we live in a world now where kids are not taught this. There are kids that could tell you uh, on their hands the food, or maybe less than one hand, the only foods that they are going to eat. I mean, kids are so picky today because they've been allowed to tell their parents how they're going to parent. But if your parents were good enough in parenting to tell you, eat your food. Maybe some of you grew up and you had to eat something. You gagged on it, and that was the, that was the cutoff point. When your mom saw you gagging, like, okay, okay, don't, don't do that. I'm not going to clean it up if you try that one. But, but try to eat everything else. If you want to go to the uh, idea, biblically, of where you should not waste food, here it is. This is the verse. Don't waste food. Maybe that's a stretch, but Jesus definitely didn't want um, what he had made out of such a small portion uh, into such large portions go to waste. So I love that little passage. If you want to teach people, don't waste food, there's your verse. <clears throat> but I want to show you Matthew. We read to you part of a verse before. Let's read the rest of it in Matthew's account, chapter 14, verse 20. The second part of it says, and they all ate and were, and were satisfied. That should take you back up to John's account. They had their fill. They had all they wanted, not what they needed, they were full. You know how you feel sometimes? You go, oh, I don't know if I should have ate that much. That's, how, that's these people. They ate God food, which is the best. There's not going to be a better chef than some, the, the creator of the universe making your food. It's not going to get better. And then Mark also reiterates the same thing. And, that, and he uses one verse, Mark chapter 6, verse 42. And they all ate and were satisfied. And then we have Luke, the doctor, saying the same thing. And they all ate and were satisfied. So that means everybody had enough, plenty. Okay, so now let's read verse 13 in our text. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. Now before we go too far, I want to go ahead and read the other gospel accounts of this particular section. So Matthew chapter 14, verse 20b, and they took up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces left over. Mark uses one verse here. Chapter 6, verse 43, and they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces. Don't miss the visual. Baskets full. They are, you can, it's not just to the top. This, they're full. And then we have Luke's account. And what was left over was picked up 12 baskets of broken pieces. It doesn't say 12 half baskets, three-quarter baskets. It says full. These are basketfuls. Now, now that you have that, and by the way, that's the second to last verse in our text today. I want you to look at this again. I showed you this up front. 
All four Gospels point to this. Jesus' abundance is always greater than our need. They had a meeting. They said, we can't. We can't can't afford to do what you want us to do, Jesus. We can't can't make this happen. This, This thing you want us to do, we can't afford this. Yes, they can. That was an exclamation point right then and there. Did you catch that? That was perfect. So, Jesus' abundance is always greater than our need. So when you're going through something and it feels like there is no way I'm going to be able to do this, there is no way we are going to be able to do this, this thing that we know that Jesus wants us to do seems like an utter impossibility from every angle. Do the math. We can't do this is what you might feel. But Jesus' abundance is always greater than our need. Imagine 12 disciples. That's how many there were who have decided in their meeting, we can't do this. It's impossible, Jesus. And they can sense he's got a plan. One of them, hey, well, we've got something here. Well, that's what you've got. Okay. And Jesus then has them distribute after he prays and he blesses the food. That's a good example for praying before you eat. Everybody has more than enough. 15,000 plus people have more than enough. That looks like a virtual impossibility. And then he tells them, pick up the leftovers. It has very little to do with actually don't waste food. But more to do with each disciple when it was over is standing there looking at an abundance. Because Jesus' abundance is always greater than our need. They had a visual, like, wow, we started with so little. We fed thousands of people, and this is the leftovers. Jesus' abundance is always greater than our need. That, that seemingly background little piece about pickup, uh, there were 12 basketfuls left over at the end of this feeding of the 5,000. We always focus on, wow, he fed 5,000 people. No, it's probably more like 15,000 plus. And maybe the more significant thing wasn't just feeding thousands of people, but his abundance is always greater than our need. Maybe the leftover baskets is what we we should be focused on. Look at the last verse. John chapter 6, verse 14. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. 15,000 plus people are suddenly convinced, whoa, this is the one. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for the lesson that you give us right out of all four gospels today. We know it's important because you inspired it to be in all the gospels. Teach us to always remember that with you, nothing is impossible. In Jesus' name, amen.